Popcorn Poops is brought to you by Audible.com. Please visit audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops for a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial of their subscription service. Audible is the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. Audible.com is offering a free audiobook download to listeners of Popcorn Poops along with a 30-day trial of their services. This week, we're recommending The Disaster Artist, My Life Inside the Room, The Greatest Bad Movie Ever Made, by Greg Sestero and Tom Bissell, narrated by Greg Sestero. To download this or another audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops for your free audiobook. My name is Dustin. And my name is Jessica. We are the Popcorn Poops. Here at Popcorn Poops HQ, we produce a movie podcast and commentary track hybrid that may be synced up to whatever film we're talking about or enjoyed as a standalone audio program. Today we will be watching the 2003 film The Room, directed by Tommy Wiseau. If you are syncing this recording up to the movie, go ahead and start the film and then press pause as soon as the title card reading Chloe Productions slash TPW Films Presents completely fades to black. It's time to start the movie. Sinkers, press play at the beep after the countdown. Ready? Three, two, one. And uh, I guess I just got tired of us watching the great movies of my childhood and I guess the great movies of your childhood. And I just wanted to watch something really, really terrible. So I chose... The Greatest Bad Movie Ever Made, The Room, directed by Mr. Tommy Wiseau. And I really appreciate that. <laughs> so, <laughs> am, I, am I tearing you apart? Oh, God. Oh, we're not there yet. Uh, actually, uh, I want to start off by apologizing about the messy syncing thing where you have to sync to the Chloe Productions, TPW Films Presents, all that, all that kind of junk. Um, the version of the movie we're watching is one of the Blu-ray releases where there is only one vanity card, one Wizzo Films vanity card. But as I understand it, there are DVD releases that have two or three vanity cards, all four Wizzo Films. Oh my! Just different ones, I guess. Uh, I guess Mr. Wizzo could not decide on which one he liked the best, so he was like, "Fuck it, put them all." <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're we're uh, watching the room, and right now we're seeing the the uh, opening credits with some lovely shots of uh, San Francisco and all of the lovely things that go along with it, like Alcatraz Island. Like when you think of the beauty and majesty of the of the San Francisco Bay Area, you think of a high security prison. Is that right? Yeah, sure. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Yeah, that's what I think of. Um, a, a lot of these locations will actually get reused in what one would call establishing shots, if they were actually establishing anything. But mm, right. usually they're just used as cutaways between scenes that have no connection to the scenes themselves. Uh, Tommy's on this this trolley here. He is, and uh, you can see, written by Tommy Wiseau, I believe the next credit is produced, yes, produced by Tommy Wiseau, and then finally directed by Tommy Wiseau, three in a row. That that totally goes against uh, convention, I guess. It's a vanity thing. You, if you have... If you have more than one credit on a movie, like you're a writer-director or something, typically you, you... Try to separate it? You don't try to separate it. That's what you don't want to do. Oh. But... but Mr. Wizzo insisted. Oh no no no! I'm 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 okay. I see what you're saying. Like you try and like writer slash director or something. Exactly. Like that. You say okay. written and directed by written, produced and directed by whoever. But no separate credits for Mr. Wizzo because he deserves the best. Well, he does. 
Oh, God. Are we really doing this? We have. We <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this might be our most unhinged, off-the-rails episode oh yet. I, I can see this just evolving into us laughing. Just nothing, no commentary, nothing, just laughing. Uh, but here, of course, we've got our two lead characters. Um, Lisa, uh, played by Juliet Danielle. And Johnny, played by... Mr. Tommy Wiseau himself. What? Okay, so let's let's hear about no oh, great Denny or Denny or Danny or whatever the Den- hell is, his name is, is supposed to be. It is officially Denny. Um, oh God, this kid creeps me out so hard. Like he he bothers me really hard in this movie. His yeah. whole like oh when he asks if he can kiss her and like when they have the pillow fight in the bed in a second. He's oh, like God, I just want to really, watch you guys. <laughs> I really hate. And like the stuff he says sounds like the kind of stuff that maybe my kindergartners would say to me. You know, like you're so pretty, can I kiss you or something like that? Like, and <laughs> but no. I mean, he's what in high school or something? I, I think he's supposed to. They say something about him. Oh pay- wait, their his tuition's being paid for for right. college. So he must be like a freshman in college. And I I do believe that in the original script, I've heard that he, his character was supposed to be um, mentally challenged. Ah. Okay. But I don't, it, he doesn't really come across as mentally challenged in this. He comes across as just fucking creepy as all okay, hell. Okay, yeah, I didn't, well, I mean, no, I I didn't get that. I just thought he was maybe sexually challenged. Yeah. Yeah, this is, um. Oh, it's really God, awkward. So yeah, the pillow weird. fighting on the bed and. Also, we just saw her open a present, and it was wrapped in, like, leopard print. And if someone ever gave me a gift wrapped in leopard print wrapping paper... You're like, thanks, but no thanks. You got the receipt? (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry about it. I'm not even going to open it. Yeah, in the the opening credits, we did see a couple of names that I wanted to mention. Uh, Chloe Litsky, which also appeared in the uh, opening title card, Chloe Productions slash slash TPW Films. Uh, Chloe Litsky may or may not have helped to finance this movie. She is also listed as an executive producer, um, according to the book The Disaster Artist uh, by Greg Sestero, who actually plays Mark in this movie. Uh, She may have also been uh, uh, Tommy Wiseau's girlfriend or sugar mama, if you will, perhaps. Huh. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of unclear what her role was. <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know that Greg Sestero or anybody involved with this movie, aside from, of course, Tommy Wiseau himself ever has ever met her. Um, another executive producer, the third executive producer, uh, is a man named Drew Caffrey, who actually died some years before this movie was ever even written. So that's really weird. Yeah. And if you look at the end credits, he's also got a few other credits like script supervisor and San Francisco casting, I believe, as well, which, of course, he could not have done. Like, those are actual jobs. Like, you, but he, was, you can he make... had been dead like years yeah. before the script was even written. Right, so. right. Like, a, a producer in name only is not terribly uncommon for, mm. you know, one reason or another. Uh, but script supervisor is an actual job with <laughs> so like job duties. That means duty. that just nobody <laughs> no, supervises. Exactly. That's what well, that, that means. Makes some, that makes some sense. Why did she? Why? Why was there a reference that made? The continuity. What? Why was there a reference made to the earliest twentieth century folk ballad? Oh, Danny, Danny boy. She she said Denny, Denny, Denny boy. <laughs> oh well, I mean th- this was written by 
a man who does not speak English as a first language. So, uh, and in a lot of ways, I think this movie kind of is his, um, I don't know, maybe like a, a study project, an English study project. There are a lot of like phrases and, and English phrases that, that are used in this. Like later on, uh, the, the character Michelle says something like XYZ, examine your zipper, which people don't really say. Yeah, like, no. Maybe when I was like in joke. elementary yeah. school, right? Yeah, something like that. I feel like this is partially kind of a study project for him, like mm. as far as English is concerned. Uh, I think there was also a theory that that Chloe Litsky could could have been his ESL teacher this in is, San Francisco. This is also the greatest song in the whole movie, by the way. Oh my god! <laughs> do you, do you know who does this music? I don't know who does this music. It's I, all I guess. I, I don't. It seemed to be like all the same two people, but like yeah. in various, not the same composer. I think it's all like work for hire studio <clears throat> musicians. But it and seemed to be two two of the same. Kitra Williams and Wayman Davis, whoever they are, seem to be on most of these songs. Okay. Yeah, this is um this sex scene right here is I think almost four minutes long, oh which God. for normal movie like Hollywood movie standards is really long for like Skinamax uh, softcore porn standards a little short. So it's somewhere between uh, Hollywood sex scene and and straight up like, softcore porn. <laughs> I was standing the way of a bullet. Is this happening? <laughs> this song sounds like uh, like someone who left a 90s oh, it looks boy like band. It looks like he's humping her belly button. <laughs> like, it sounds like is someone who this left... this how you do it, Lisa? A 90s boy band that wasn't nearly as popular as like Backstreet Boys or NSYNC or something. Someone like, something like, like Westlife or LFO or Five or something. And they tried to make like their own career, their solo career, like 10 years too late. That's kind of what that song right, sounded right. like. Yeah, that that makes sense. I think I think you're probably right about that. Uh, <laughs> Her but, boobs get so much exposure in this movie that they need their they do, own they, credit. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! I was gonna make that joke. What? <laughs> you stole it from me. I'm sorry. You know, I I guess uh, Mr. Rizzo had such a a, a good time ha- performing in this sex scene that he decided to suddenly write in a second love scene that that pops up. Um, Really not that much later. I think in another 10 minutes we get another <clears throat> love scene. Um, but the Juliet Danielle, the, the the woman who plays Lisa, was uncomfortable doing it. So as a compromise, the second love scene is actually made up of footage, unused footage from this love scene, which was originally supposed to be six minutes long. Oh, my God. Yes, this love scene was originally supposed to be six minutes long, which is a lot closer to that Skinamax softcore porn standard. <sighs> And we just saw what? his ass. So, <laughs> so she was she was uncomfortable doing it with him again, right? Because she does it with the with uh, what the other guy. She does the, the Mark Mark, who played by Greg Sestero, um, like two more times. Or yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. There are what four sex scenes in this movie? I think there are. That's right. There are two with Tommy and two with with Mark. But the two with Tommy are actually just the same sex scene but just right. cut out pieces from this first one. Exactly. And you the one the one way you can really tell for sure is that her earrings are the same. Ah. Uh so in And the fantastic this... makeup too. Yeah. <laughs> right. Her eyeshadow is killer. Um yeah, the the first sex scene she has like a she has like these blue blue jewel earrings in mm. and then in the scene immediately before the second sex scene she's got some different earrings in and then when it cuts to the second sex scene she's got the blue ones in again so 
unless she changed well, you know, earrings. I mean, be- usually before I have sex, I like to go and change my earrings oh, to, to suit the mood. To sexier earrings? Right. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that that's sense. normal. <laughs> so... <laughs> The timing in that scene really bothers me because when he gets home, it's like afternoon outside when he's on the trolley and stuff and he gives her the the red dress and what, you know, Denny comes in and wants to watch them have sex and and it's like afternoon and then like when they go up to the bedroom, it seems to have gotten dark really fast, but it's still it's still not like full night outside. <clears throat> and then they have sex for I don't know, forever, all night, I guess, and immediately fall asleep. It's got to be only like, at earliest, it's got to be only like, what, 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock? Even if this is like the latest guess, sunset yeah. time of the year, then it's still going to be like 7 o'clock I mean, or unless they had sex like... For hours? For hours, just tantric sting sex. And then like, and then they go to sleep and he wakes up at 8.30 in the morning and immediately, because we see the clock, and then immediately goes leaves and puts on clothes and goes to work and that means that he came home and he did not shower he did not eat dinner he just had sex until he fell asleep and then woke up and went back to work (laughs) (laughs) well as as uh, as johnny might say that's life Some of the timing in this is really weird. It's all people go there to bed is no really sense early. Of time. No, there there is no sense of time. They talk about how like they're supposed to be married in a couple of weeks, and then they randomly have on tuxes, and they have like kind of a weird throwaway line where they say they're going to take wedding pictures, and then they end up playing football, and then they're not in the tuxes anymore, and it never comes up again, and there's no actual wedding that happens in the movie. And well, I think the wedding pictures, though, I think it's like you know like pre wedding i mean who does the people do that rich people maybe okay i mean rich people do like engagement photos and stuff too he seems to be pretty successful as a banker except that he doesn't own a house no he's in a condo or an apartment or something Mm. i think the outside is is the outside of a condo but the inside i don't know i guess it looks like a condo on the inside too it seems to be only two rooms right you never see the kitchen also why is this called the room yeah. Um, <laughs> well, according to Tommy Wiseau, it is it is intended to evoke a sense of safety for the audience. What? Because you can go to the room and feel safe and do things and talk to your friends in the room huh. and yes. <laughs> that's 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 his oh, explanation God. is that it's for it the It sounds au- like the title for like a really bad horror movie. Just, you know, noun yeah, or a softcore porn. Ah, uh, that's true. Which this kind of looks like, it like does. the, like it the, does. The, the, I don't know, like the the budget for this movie is reportedly around six million dollars. Oh um, so there there was some money put behind this, but a lot of it was kind of wastefully used. Uh, Tommy Wiseau paid for the cameras that he used to shoot this movie, and when I say cameras, I mean he bought. At least two cameras, one of which was a film camera, the other of which was a high-definition video camera, that he then built a rig to mount both cameras simultaneously and to shoot this movie at on two formats at the same time. What? Yeah. No, Why? Totally not understanding that you light video and you light film differently. And then, you know, he had 
throughout the course of the production of this, which took something like six months to film, which is an insanely long time uh, for the like it took them like six months to film an entire Lord of the Rings. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, that his he had three DPs on this. He had three cinematographers throughout the course of this because, you know, they kept quitting and every time someone would come in it would be either Tommy or often as I understand it according to the book that Greg Sestero wrote it would be Greg Sestero himself that would have to explain the fact that there are two cameras that were shooting on two formats because Tommy just wanted to do something that had never been done before without understanding why it had never been done like (laughs) it's like I don't know it's like this weird kind of James Cameron thing. Like I'm going to do something that's never been done in cinema, except if James Cameron had like a mental problem, Oh my God! which to be fair, Tommy Wiseau might have a mental problem. He might actually have brain damage. Uh, according again, according to the book that Greg Sestero wrote, uh, he's been in at least two very serious car accidents in his life. Uh, one of which left, I guess the left side of his face somewhat, not paralyzed, but drooping. He has a, he has like a, an eye droop problem that mm. he's very aware of, and you can kind of see it in this movie. Um, but to to this day, like when he makes public appearances and stuff, he wears he wears sunglasses all the time. Ah, oh, so that that's the reason for the sunglasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's self conscious of the of the eye droop. Okay. Yeah, so I think you should explain your fascination. I mean, we've we had seen this before. Yeah, we I think the it. first time I ever saw it was when Adult Swim did their. Uh, there it was. It was an April Fool's Day thing, wasn't they, it? They actually ran this as an April Fool's <clears throat> Day joke every year between like 2009 and 2011 or 12 or something like that. Yeah, and that was the first time they did that. That was the first time that I ever saw it. I was just like, "What the hell is this?" And yeah. it was fascinating, and I couldn't stop watching it. And then uh, Tim and Eric had him had Tommy on, on the show, the show yeah. at some point. Um, and with with the Tim and Eric show, it's always it's always a gamble whether or not the person realizes that that they're being made fun of or they're not being yeah, made there, fun of. I or, think there's certainly like with Tim and Eric show, there's certainly a level of exploitation. There is, I feel. and you never you never are sure what you're getting into. You never know if the person is aware of the exploitation and is is doing it under that knowledge yeah. or if. Or if they're kind of using that person because are they in on the joke or not? Yeah, Um, which is what makes that show so fascinating. Also, Um, uh, although somewhat morally questionable when you think about the kind of people that they get on it. But oh, and sex scene number two already. How far are we into this? Seventeen minutes. Sex scene number two. Is this only number two? Yes, we have one after this again with Johnny, and then uh, yes, the pizza, the, the pizza sex. Right toward the end of the movie is another one with Mark. Um, the pizza sex. <laughs> they order pizza. And That's they right, they do, they do. Um, and anyways, the, so that was like my first exposure to this movie was when Adult Swim forced me to watch it, and and. And then, like, from there, you and I, we've watched it a couple times. When we have. When we first we, moved to Japan. We got um, really inebriated one time and tried to watch it. And and it was really hard. Like, I, I didn't <laughs> develop a fascination with this movie until I read Greg Sestero's book. Right. When I found... Because, like, I was more interested in Tommy Wiseau as a person than I was this movie in particular. I was like, yeah, it's a really bad movie and it's really funny, like, how bad it is. But I always found it kind of hard to get through. And I always found the most interesting thing about it 
Tommy Wiseau himself, and he's not actually in this movie all that much. Like for a van, it's it, it it for a vanity project, it might be the worst vanity project ever because the movie's like almost an hour and forty minutes long, and he's in it for less than forty minutes. Mm. So like a true vanity project, he should be in it for at least like ninety percent of the movie, yeah. and he and he's not. Um, so yeah, watching the movie for him is kind of a moot point because he's not in it as as much as he really should be. But if you look up stuff about him, like I guess pre uh, the disaster artist, if you look up stuff about Tommy Wiseau, it's really hard to pin down any information about him whatsoever. Like there are. Uh, little anecdotes from people here and there that said things like, "Oh yeah, I think I knew that guy. I think he sold like yo-yos or like toy birds on on the on the boardwalk in San Francisco years and years ago." And yeah, I think I saw that guy. He runs like this business that, that's really like they sell like uh, leather jackets made cheaply in Korea or something. Um, just little bits and pieces. And then you've got this book that came out uh, last year. Uh, and when I, I you know I picked it up because it sounded really interesting. And I found the thing just incredibly fascinating. Like everything that I wanted to know about Tommy Wiseau is more or less laid out for me in the book. And I, yeah. I, I really can't recommend it enough. And since then, like the other mysteries about him have kind of been unraveled by people like people on the Internet who have done a little bit of snooping. Like recently, someone did some snooping and, and revealed that uh, Tommy Wiseau is most likely from Poland. He was in the book. It's revealed that he was from a European bloc country, but uh, it was never revealed what country that was, and that he most likely moved to France, escaped that bloc country into France, lived in France for uh, enough time to actually learn French at a near native level, huh. and then moved to San or moved to Louisiana to live with his aunt and uncle, and then from there moved to San Francisco and and made a life out in California. Um, so a lot of people that speak to him that are from Europe and that are French, uh, by birth, uh, for example, Greg Sestero's mother, who is, you know, a French Canadian, I believe mm. she spoke to Tommy Wiseau at one point and she said, I don't know where he's from, but he's not French. He mm. speaks French, but he's not French. Um, so yeah, he, he may, he may be from Poland. This, uh, this scene here at the flower shop, one of the best scenes in the movie. You think so? Just like so fascinatingly bungled and it's great and, i mean with the pug on the counter and stuff yeah oh that some brilliant ad-libbing by uh, <clears throat> a man who can't otherwise really act at all mm. um this line here hi tommy i didn't know it was you <laughs> who, did, who did you think it was <laughs> who walks into this shop looking like looking like this you're um, my favorite customer you're my favorite customer okay bye <laughs> Uh, oh God! The, all the greetings in this movie. So the that the flower shop owner that played the flower shop owner in that scene is actually the owner of that flower shop. The dog is uh, kind of a a stalwart at the shop. It's always on the counter in real oh, life. Like this is real life. Yeah, real life. Like like okay. that's the real owner. That's her dog. The dog is always there. Uh, Tommy asked if they could film there. She said sure. And then he was like, oh, "You want to be in it?" Or probably you want to be in my movie? <laughs> <laughs> and she is like, "I'm sorry." <laughs> And she's like, yeah, sure. So she does it. She delivers a fine performance for a non-actor who's just asked on a whim. To well, be I mean, it seems about, you know, on par with all the other people in the movie. So and apparently the dog was sitting there the entire time they were shooting and the last take they got. He was like, oh, hey, doggy. And he pets it. <laughs> and then after that take, he asks the shop owner, oh, is it is is that real? And she's like, what do you what do you mean? Is it real? And, he, and he's like, is your dog real? 
like, yes, it's a real dog. It's my dog. And I think I think he. Uh, this is in the book. I can't remember exactly, but I think he mentioned maybe not having the dog in the shot. And she's like, "No, the dog is the dog stays on the counter. That's where he is. He's old, and that's where he likes to be. So this, that's where this he's is his be. spot. That's he his sits. Spot. He sits on the counter. Yeah. So, hi, doggy. <laughs> You, I think you've mentioned before that the book, that the writing in the book is um, okay. Amateurish. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. <clears throat> but that, that the draw to it isn't, isn't that. No. The it's, draw to no, it is it's, that it's like. It's not the craft, it's the content. Right. Um, it's looking into this world that that no one else really has ever exposed before yeah. that's become a sort of cult phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. This definitely. movie is I mean this is one of those movies that people have tons of drinking games for that is all over the internet that people quote all the time. Um oh hi Mark. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's and and I think that that you really started caring when when you were able to like look into this life and I, from what I, I've I seen, had to have a peek behind the, the curtain, so to speak, and from, it's only made me love this movie more. <laughs> from what I've seen with you, though, I feel like you almost have developed some sympathy for him that you feel yeah. kind of bad for him. A little bit. Well, I mean, because if you if you think about if this movie is saying anything at all. All <laughs> and we do like on our show, we like to talk about subtext, we like to talk about themes, we like to talk about you know the filmmakers and like maybe where they were when they made something, made a piece of art that all that stuff is is really important. If you read that, try to read that into the room, I think you only come away with something that's really quite pathetic, uh, from an artist's point of view. Um, Tommy Wiseau may very well be a very strong misogynist, yeah. Uh, may very well be very, very uh, misled or, uh, I guess, misunderstand women in general. Just I, how... I think that, honestly... He doesn't know how... Like, it's not that he... He misunderstands women because he thinks that he misunderstands women, but he probably has never really tried to. I think this movie is probably proof on some level that there was at least a woman at some point in his life that really hurt him. Yeah. And he he didn't really heal the right way from it or didn't know how to deal with it the right way. I get, I get the feeling though. It's like, like the way he talks about women in this movie, when, when, when I watch other things that portray women in an evil light or unjust way or whatever, which this movie certainly does. Um, I mean, Lisa's just evil. She's just illogical and evil. Um, and, and usually when I watch other stuff, I get pissed off or or irritated at the least. I don't really with this movie. I just sort of come away from it feeling like he really thinks that women are like an entirely different thing. Right. And they're duplicitous. Like that. Like he like they're absolutely something other than men that they're they're totally like a different species, yeah, even exactly. a different animal. And all of the women, all of the men in this movie talk like Tommy Wiseau. They all talk like Right, because the same he puts the words into their mouth. He's exactly. the writer. You know, you've even got characters like Mark, who is a totally, supposed to be a totally different character from Johnny. And Mark says at one point, he says, women are, sometimes they're too smart, sometimes, sometimes they're, they're dumb. dumb, and then other times they're downright evil and yeah. stuff like that. And then Tommy calls, or uh, Tommy, Johnny calls mm -hmm. him... Uh, 
an expert on women. He says, you sound like an expert on women. And I'm like, because he he said some women are too smart, some are dumb, and some are just evil. And the psychologist character Peter later on refers to to Lisa as a sociopath and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, And also just tells him, you know... Just don't, just don't bother with it. Life's, life's complicated. And right. Like, like this is just how it, no, the, no, the psychologist is the one who also agrees with him and says that he doesn't understand women either. Yeah. And I'm like, you're, no, you're, you have a fucking doctorate in something, right? You're a psychologist, <laughs> you're a psychologist. and you don't understand women. Well, do you understand men? Because, because yeah, it's the it's fucking the same, same thing. thing. <laughs> if you, I mean, if you have to say that you don't understand insert, you know, sex or gender, then you you uh, I mean I guess you, you really missed, don't you, missed you totally something. missed the point you missed yeah. something in life a very crucial thing yeah um but then again all, you know all the women kind of talk the same way in that at least Lisa and her mother are always talking about how they were uh I don't know given a raw deal or someone is trying to take advantage of them or you know just speaking in in really greedy terms in general I think her mother always uh, about manipulating people or exactly or, or how people are trying to take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. I think that's the main main thing, especially with her mother. Her mother's always talking about how her brother is trying to manipulate trying to her take the and, house from her yeah, and, and her stuff. ex-husbands are trying to manipulate her and that marriage isn't about love. It's about financial security and very cold blanket statements about stuff. And they're all put into the mouths of women in this movie. So it's you know, it's also we've got a uh, leopard print again. We've got some nice leopard print on mom's mom's undershirt here. Was this was it was this in style in two thousand three? Maybe in Poland. <laughs> <laughs> Zing! That's that, that's pretty good. <laughs> um, now let's talk thematically about the leopard print, what that could symbolize, and you know this movie that we're. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> There's also there's also a lot of rose symbolism. We uh, we have a song about roses during a sex scene, yeah. and then he buys. We, them. we did just miss the second sex scene that was made. <clears throat> no, of, it was the third sex. Third scene. well, second sex scene with Johnny, and third sex scene overall. But it was that was recycled footage from the first sex scene with Johnny. Oh my God! This is the breast cancer scene. Yes, it is. Oh, where? And this line right here, there there are moments in this movie where I wonder if it really was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> but the line, the line that Lisa says is, Johnny didn't get his promotion, and he got drunk last night, and he hit me. And then her mother says, Johnny doesn't drink. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but that is set up payoff. I that mean, is yeah. set up punchline. That is a joke. Yeah, there's no 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 bones about it. That's a joke. Okay, the the fact is is that the stuff in this movie, Tommy Wiseau repeatedly says that this was intentionally a comedy. Like he's come out now, now, and now after the fact, after it's become this. Every, cult. Everyone who's worked on this disagrees. So <clears throat> right, we, but, we we know what the truth. is. But he repeatedly says these people also just walk into this house to have sex. Oh yes, Mike and, and Michelle. Isn't this the guy who knows he's in a bad movie? Is that what you call him? He, he does, and for that he has one of the better performances. In the, I mean, it's still a bad performance, but it's one of the better performances because it's kind of a knowing performance. Yeah, he gives like like his little smirks and stuff. Are kind of like Sci-Fi Channel original, like over like the top. yeah, really like the top. really cheesing it up. Yeah, 
Yeah. And his his BJ face, getting a BJ face is just <laughs> too much. really great. Also, they eat so much fucking chocolate in this scene. Oh, my God. And and I can't imagine French kissing while you have a mouthful of chocolate. That's so disgusting. <laughs> a mouthful of anything. Oh, God. Like, and, like, sharing the mouthful of whatever while you're kissing each other. Like he's, still, he's still chewing. And, he's just... <laughs> and then a whole other piece of chocolate. And then there's going to be a third piece of chocolate. And these are large pieces of, of, you know, filled chocolate. Didn't you know that chocolate is a symbol of love? Oh, my God. Did you know that? Roses, too. Rose, roses too, and leopard print, and also apples. Uh, the scene where at the beginning of the movie, when when Lisa and and Johnny go upstairs, and uh, <laughs> and Denny picks up an apple and takes a big bite of it. Uh, according to Tommy Wiseau, that that is a sexual symbol. Ah, uh, okay, whatever. Symbolism, yeah, in the room, yeah. Dev- oh, here's the BJ face. Oh man, <laughs> where he like blows out his cheeks and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh god um it's pretty amazing anyways we didn't mention the breast cancer thing that's one of the greatest oh, moments yeah, in the just movie kind of totally where, blown off where the mom is like oh yeah and i got the test results back i am dying i have breast cancer and the daughter's just like not surprised at all and she's just like don't worry about it they cure that all the time now don't they're worry curing about people it. every day no no they're actually not that's <laughs> Actually, it's still breast cancer. Yeah. Actually, there's no cure for cancer. My goodness. Actually, this is really serious what your mom just told you. What what does Lisa do for a living? Um I assume nothing. However, that she did have that really weird line when we had the pizza and sex scene. This and- is the most sensible line. The character, Lisa's mom, Claudette, her character's name is Claudette. Uh, she says, how many people come in and out of this apartment every day? Which is the most sensible line in the entire Yeah, movie. it is. It's the only moment where you're like, oh, this movie is aware of something that's happening in the movie. And of the of the primary players, of the primary characters, I think that probably um, the woman who plays her mother does the best job with what she's given. I'm not saying that she's given anything to really work with but i i don't know like i think she does the best job of anybody in the Mm. movie except for maybe chris r who's not really in the movie all that much um but which which one is chris r is that the drug 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 guy who tries to where most of his lines are where's my fucking money denny yeah where's my where's the fucking money denny yeah yeah he looks real you know drug dealer he does well yeah i I think he uh actually i think Greg Sestero says that consensus among the cast members is that Chris R's performance is the best in the movie. Oh, um, but I th- ten seconds on screen. I think my favorite performance is probably Claudette. Mm. I think she does the best with what she's given, which is, I mean, just gar- 100% garbage. No, I like the BJ guy. I think I think his faces <laughs> he's, are the he's best. He's pretty good, too. <laughs> um, Only because he knows what he's in. Yeah, he knows he's in a bad movie. Uh, but what I was saying, though, is in the, the pizza and sex scene right before... Uh, like when she gets him drunk, they, there's this really weird line where she says, at least you have friends. I didn't get any calls today. You're right. The computer business is too competitive. As though that has anything to do with friends. Friends. Yeah. Yeah, It's really weird. But, but then she ends that scene by saying she has to go see a client. What? So I guess she's in the computer business. Oh, this is the Chris R scene with, uh, with them. Where's my fucking money, Denny? (laughs) 
I, and I don't. I wanted to talk to you about like we'll talk about it in a minute when it comes up. But what exactly is the drug situation? Yeah, I don't think there's really. I mean, what exactly is any situation in this movie? Like that's true. The, the a lot of the movie, like none a lot of, of the dialogue, not even just like scenes, but a lot of the dialogue itself is just a series of non sequiturs. Yeah, well, like that line, like at least you have friends. I didn't get any calls. That you're right. The computer business is too competitive. It just what. Why? Where? Why? What? Where did that yeah, exactly. come from? In the last scene, Claudette says, "What does Denny do?" And Lisa answers with, "Johnny wanted to adopt Denny." What? What? Huh? <laughs> what? Like in most of this movie, that's what you spend your time doing: is you sit there and go, "Huh? What? Wh- why? Huh? Actually, okay." Actually, I think that, that that basically that entire scene of Claudette and Lisa to be my fucking money, you Denny. My fucking money. <laughs> And then suddenly everyone and their mom is there. Like literally oh, the, the everyone cutaway, and the, the mom. The cutaway to the women at the door right here that's totally, uh, you know, continuity's all messed up. Right, because we're looking through the door we're and no one's there. We're looking through the there. door no one's there. And then we cut to the reverse and they're standing right there. She's like, what's going on? Oh my God. It's just so stupidly oh chaotic. Oh my God, and there's so much the screaming ways. in this scene. <laughs> She screams, what's wrong with you? They just start screaming and we just, we just like, and this scene is so long. It just goes on forever and mm. they just keep yelling at him. Oh God. And I really, I hate his face. I, I'm sorry. This kid really, he really makes me uncomfortable. He, the thing is, is that he wasn't a kid when he made this. Like he was an adult and he hates how he's portrayed. In this right. Movie. And that's yeah. why, like, that's why it's so upsetting is because he's clearly not a child, but, but it's. He has man child syndrome. In right. This. Like and you it's watch so, him. And it's, it's uncomfortable. So, it's this weird, almost like. It's not the same thing, but feels kind of like Uncanny Valley, mm-hmm. where an adult is playing a childish. And I guess, as far as that's concerned, he does a good job, right? I guess because so. He he plays really childish. Uh-huh. He plays childish really, really well. I mean, <laughs> what the <laughs> hell is wrong with you? <laughs> Just screaming! Why are we screaming? No, but I was saying that last scene, the the scene that we came from with uh with Lisa and Claudette in in the apartment. The entire scene is a series of non sequiturs that starts with Mike and Michelle walking in, just walking into someone else's apartment, having sex. Lisa and Claudette walk in, they leave. Denny walks in, she introduces him. Denny leaves. They talk about stuff that doesn't have anything to do with anything. Then Mike comes back in and gets his underwear and the chocolates and leaves. Scene over. Like the scene is just nothing. It does nothing. And so, yeah, I think in response to your question was, what what is the drug thing? Like, what does the drug thing have to? I mean, it's nothing. Like, all of this is why was there breast cancer? Why did we throw in breast cancer? Well, it's it's yeah, exactly. But like the 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 thing with the drugs because they're talking about it now. Um, I, I Claudette clearly doesn't know what she's saying because when Denny says he owes money, Claudette asks what he needs money for. So he owes money, and then she asks what he needs money for. It's like, no, 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 he, he owes money. He doesn't need, he owes it. That's, that's it. But then he goes on to say, uh, oh, no, she says uh, that, asks him if he's selling or giving the drugs to Chris R. It's like, what? Why Denny says he, he, why would he owe him money if he's said, giving this him to, drugs? God, there's just too much to talk about. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> so when Denny says he bought some drugs off of Chris R., Claudette asks if he's selling them or giving them to, to Chris R., which doesn't make any sense. And then she finally accuses Denny of taking drugs. But I think, it appears to me that Denny was fronted some drugs to sell. And the movie doesn't make this clear at all, but I've just 
tried to figure this out. Right. Tried to bring logic where there is none. Right. I think that Denny was fronted some drugs to sell at a markup in order to pay Chris R. back and keep the additional amount for himself. But now he doesn't have the money or the drugs for some reason. Since he told Chris R. that the money would arrive soon, like in five minutes or whatever... Perhaps he fronted the fronted drugs to someone else who perhaps knew more about how to sell drugs than he would pay Denny, and Denny would then pay Chris R., or maybe the script is a convoluted piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, the script supervisor was dead when he supervised it, so... We are 38 minutes into the movie, and this is the first scene where Mark and Johnny talk, and they're best friends. (laughs) We we hear at least four or five times how they are best friends. I really this is the thing though this is the thing that you've said before that the more I've watched this movie um, recently the more times I've watched this movie after you got so into it and you read the book and you've been talking about it and every now and then you'd like come and you'd read me a paragraph and just be like oh my god can you believe this (laughs) and and like every as every time I've watched this movie since then the feeling that I get now is that is that you're right about Oh my god, we that, just missed another amazing line where he laughs at the story about the girl getting beat up. Oh my god, this scene is is the most misogynistic conversation it's that terrible. ever has been recorded in it's history. Terrible. Like like basically uh, first Johnny laughs about a girl cheating on a guy with a dozen guys and then getting beaten up so bad she's put in the hospital. His response is to go, "Ha ha." <laughs> they talk about that he talks about this in the book and he says that That the person who is kind of more or less directing the scene because Tommy can't do more than one thing at a time uh, kept telling him, you can't laugh at the story. You can't laugh at the fucking story. And he kept laughing at the story every single time. They're like, no, it's not a funny story. You can't laugh at it. Don't react that way. You have to react this way instead. You have to be sympathetic. You have to say, oh, my God, or something. You know, have to do something else. And he wouldn't do it. And then the one or two takes that they got of him not laughing, they were like his delivery, whatever he said, was so fucking terrible that they had to go with a laughing take because it was literally just the best take they could get. Oh, my God. Him, the the way... uh, Johnny enters that scene too with the the water bottle was the culmination of like six or seven hours of filming and over 30 takes of him. What, wa- the Ohio Mark one? Yeah, walking through the door saying, it's bullshit, I didn't hit her, it's bullshit, she's lying, Ohio Mark. And like he throws the bottle mm. and everything. Yeah. He he just couldn't do it. He, could, he can't walk and talk at the same time. <laughs> and when he could, when they were like, no, you have to hit your mark, he would go past his mark or he would go, he wouldn't hit it, you know, hit his mark at all and he would be too far back when he would stop and he couldn't say the line he couldn't find the mark without like looking directly at it and it was obvious like what he was doing so like they gave him a water bottle and they were like here just focus on this just hold the water bottle and maybe you can do it it took them like six hours to shoot that it's like three seconds i mean it is one of the most famous pieces of bad movie you know i did not (laughs) in history so so you know it took six hours but but anyways, yeah, that scene was incredibly misogynistic. Like besides the laughing at the girl getting beaten, and also up. It didn't make sense. Why does Mark? Why is Mark saying that he might have a girl? Yeah, right. Like what? Well, like his may, maybe have a girl is 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 Tommy's wife. It's Johnny's wife. He insinuates that he broke up with her because she wasn't good in bed, and then Johnny oh, replies, that's a different girl. Yeah, yeah. The, not Lisa, not but Lisa, some yeah. other girl. And Johnny replies that Lisa's good when when he can get it. And then and then is the is the thing where where he's like where. Uh, Mark is all like, sometimes they're too smart, sometimes they're dumb, sometimes they're just evil. 
Johnny thinks he's an expert on women because he's got the three types down. Too smart, dumb, or evil. So They say don't worry about it and I don't want to talk about it and various <laughs> other phrases. Something like eight or nine times throughout this movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Um, but, but anyways, what I was saying, though, is that I, I said think... said that because Denny just said it. I think the the whole best friend thing is what, what before we were interrupted by misogyny. Um, the whole best friend <laughs> thing was, I think it's part, it, for me, it is really part of this theory that you have that is that he was just trying to make this fantasy world for himself. Yeah. Like this movie is a representation of of the world that he wants to live in and then the world that it really is this horror this world where he wants to have a best friend and he wants to have a a loving fiance who's super hot who they have sex all the time who everyone wants and she everybody thinks she's so beautiful and he wants to have a kid who's uh, dependent Alcatraz, on him the beauty of prison and and he wants all these people surrounding him who think he's so great. And then, and, but then the reality of it is, is that life is just going to shit on him anyways. And women are evil and manipulative and his friends are going to betray him. Yep. And, and it's like, I don't know. I think it's really, really sad. In it the is end. very sad. There's a scene coming up where they, they shoot in an alleyway and the alleyway is so obviously a set. Like it's the, it's the worst looking <laughs> set, even worse than the rooftop, which is ob- also obviously a set on a green screen because the green screen looks terrible. Despite the fact that Tommy Wiseau owned San Francisco Bay beachfront property that like property that had a roof that had an amazing view of the bay and they decided to shoot on a set in a parking lot with a green screen. The parking lot of the rental company that he did not rent the camera equipment from, but bought, which you don't do because oh technology is always improving so quickly that even the biggest Hollywood productions don't buy equipment. They rent equipment. They rent all of their cameras. They rent all their lights. They rent everything because you want the best and the latest always. Why would you buy anything? Right. Except Tommy Wiseau bought everything. Because you probably wouldn't be able lot. to use it the next time you went to make no, a movie. No, he didn't want to make a Mickey Mouse production. That's that was his one of his mantras. <laughs> one of his many mantras while making the making this movie is like this is not Mickey Mouse stuff. Yeah. So even though he had a rooftop and I could just go on and on. Like he did this because he did this because he did this because he did this because it's just bad decision after bad decision after bad decision that doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but I say that to say that in the alley scene where they play football and and Mike gets hurt, um, which never comes to anything at all, um, they were showing Tommy the dailies of that you know that footage right there, <clears throat> and Greg Sestero talks about how he was watching uh, uh, Tommy's face as he's watching this footage, and he, there's this look on Tommy's face that Greg starts to interpret as he gets it. He's starting to understand how terrible this is and what a mistake this is. And he's starting to smile like he's about to just crack up at like how how wrongheaded he's been, how how terrible this whole thing is and how they just need to shoot it in a real alleyway because it's going to look better than anything they could ever build. And the thing that comes out of his mouth is, look at me. I look so young and I have so many friends. Mm-hmm. That's what he says. Yeah. And that that's why this is sad in the yeah. end. 
why it's actually kind of a sad I don't movie. Want, I don't want this this episode <laughs> to come out being like pity party for Tommy Wiseau because a lot of people, and myself included, a lot of people love this movie because it's easy to make fun of. Because right, it's, it is. It's it is terrible. Like and it's if a you're, train and wreck. if you're, you know, playing one of the many drinking games and you're getting drunk while you're watching it, mm-hmm. it I mean, it's fantastic. Like yeah. it's it's incredibly entertaining. It's such a quotable movie. It's kind of movie. a perfect bad movie. Yeah, it's 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 perfect in that way. Um, but when you like reading the book and understanding like where he's coming from and understanding that there might be some, like he might have, like I said, brain damage from car accidents and he's an immigrant and he grew up in in an Eastern European bloc country and he had a terrible childhood and he wants to leave all that behind because America means opportunity. America means freedom. Like he is in that way. He is naturalized. He's an American now. Mm. Um, and he is the American dream. He came to America because he had a dream and he made that dream come true. And now everyone makes fun of the dream that he made come through. And he's OK with that. But, you know, I was listening to uh, another podcast where there was a, um, a I guess, self-proclaimed room expert. Uh-huh. Um, and the podcast is How does How Did This Get Made, which is an amazing podcast, much better than ours. <laughs> uh, but he was talking about how he's been to so many screenings of this and he's been to screenings that where Wizzo was actually in attendance and Wizzo plays along and Wizzo is now, Oh, this is this, the alleyway scene that looks so terrible. Fake alleyway. Oh, so, so bad. Um, but he said that Tommy Wiseau plays along and now he's at the, at the point where he says, Oh yeah, it's a dark comedy. It was meant to be a comedy all along, which is totally not true. But every once in a while during the screenings, when everyone's laughing at his movie, he just kind of ducks out and leaves. Because he just he doesn't want to hear people laughing at his movie because he meant he meant it like this was this is serious. This is him pouring his heart out. And it's I'm sorry, this is supposed to be a really fun podcast. And now now it's really sad. You look like you're about to cry. No, I'm not. I'm not going to cry. Um, I'm 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 actually thinking about how I thought this alleyway was inside somewhere before. The oh, first time really? I, yeah, up until you, you just thought told this was me. An I thought this location. was an interior no, location. No. Yeah. I mean, now I see the trash cans and stuff, and I'm like, oh, okay. But I thought they were like, like with that big window and stuff. They do shoot the the second, or not the second. There are a couple of football throwing scenes. the The tuxedo football throwing scene that is also a complete non sequitur. Um, they shoot that on location somewhere. It's like in some parking lot next to a building. Mm. It looks like. This alleyway um, was built and they shot something in it and then they moved to a different set. And typically uh, you do you do set scheduling for 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 shooting something. So you build a set and you shoot everything that you're going to shoot for the movie on that set. You move away from it and the set decorator, the set builder tears it down and you move on. I'm sorry. I I love this moment where he like. Where Mark like pushes the blowjob guy and <laughs> blowjob guy, and he like he pushes him. I don't know why. Like I guess he just falls or something while he's standing still. Because catching a football is really hard. So, um, especially if you're like two feet away from the person who's throwing it. So he falls when he catches it, and he pushes the blowjob guy into a trash can. And they're, and they're all like, "Oh, do you need a doctor? Oh my gosh. Oh, okay. Look, we're gonna take him home now." And I'm just like, man, he just like. Like he just sat down hard, yeah. and we gotta, we gotta take him home now. Gotta take him to the if ER. You, if you think about the point of that scene, you can't. I mean, it's just an exercise in in 
building a brain aneurysm because there's <laughs> there's no there's no point. Um, the scene is Mike recounts to Johnny the story of him losing his underwear, which we saw as an audience already. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Then Mark and Denny walk in and they all play football and then uh, Mark pushes Mike down accidentally and they have to take him to the hospital and that's the end of the scene and nothing nothing at all is accomplished whatsoever. Oh my God. But what I was saying about like the set scheduling, <clears throat> when you shoot a movie, you have to... You have to, of course, schedule the shoot. And a lot of times what they do is they'll build a set. They'll shoot everything they need for the movie on that set. Then they'll tear it down and move on to the next set. They had built the alley set and had moved on to, I guess, the rooftop set. And they were tearing down the alley set. And Tommy Wiseau got really upset because he's like, no, no, no. We're going to go back and we're going to shoot some more over there. But they had already torn it down. And the set decorator said, if you want me to build the set again, you're going to have to pay me double for basically doing my job twice because that's not how this runs. Mm -hmm. And, And basically turned the Mickey Mouse thing around on him and says, this is not a Mickey Mouse production, right? Right? (laughs) And Tommy was always like, okay, I'll pay you double. Oh, my God. Yep. (laughs) Why? Why? For that 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 For that set. Yes, for that. Oh, my God. That's it. And that's the only scene that takes place in that alley. So it was was for that scene. It's It's so pointless. This, uh, also, the way he's setting up the, the, recorder to the phone this wouldn't work at all yeah i would suspect not it's also like the biggest you know hidden recording device that i've ever seen he's also got like a maxell 120 60 or 120 minute cassette tape that he's recording on and then the next time he pulls it out to like replay messages is like days later or something (laughs) So this two-hour tape has been recording for days. And like when he pops it in, it's synced up to the exact right conversation yeah, that yeah, you know exactly. they just had, and and also With replays X stuff that, that was, was not, not in the conversation, yeah. even though we saw the conversation taking place in like it's basically one unedited take. I think there's maybe one cut in there, one cutaway, but that's that's at the end of the movie. Um. Uh, what was what was there was some there was another time thing. Oh yeah, the other time thing that really annoyed me at the very beginning uh, is when when Lisa first calls Mark and she's talking to him on the phone and she's like, it, she tells him, "Is it the you, one where he's in the car and he's like, yeah, I'm very busy right yeah. now." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> everyone always starts conversations by saying, "Oh hi," and then saying, "I'm very, very busy,", busy right now. <laughs> um, and they often end conversations by getting pushed and falling down and leaving. It <laughs> <laughs> happens at least twice in both times in scenes that don't matter. Um, but anyways, though, when he's in, he's in the car talking to her, and she's and she's all like, "You have to talk to me because you owe me." And she also says that a lot that people owe her and they have to mm-hmm. have sex with her or talk to her because I don't know what they owe. Her. I think the only thing she does is just stay in the house and change well, her earrings. I, I guess. So. I guess in some ways, when when Wizzo writes <clears throat> the line for Peter that Lisa is a sociopath, in some ways he kind of wrote an accurate sociopath. It's true. Um, Hold hold on, and we'll come back to the sociopath thing in a second. But did you know that love is blind? <laughs> it is. Um, but so she, when she's on the phone with Mark, she's like, she's like, "Can I see you tomorrow?" And he's he goes, "All right, how about noon?" And she goes, "K." And then we see a trolley, and then the next cut is him walking up to the door, mm-hmm. and and you're just like, "Wait, the, so this is tomorrow?" Is it yeah? Why exactly. why is it not just today? Is that, is that before the stair sex? 
Uh, yes, it's right. It's right before they have their first sex scene. Together. I'm not gonna say that the room did it better, but I will say that they did stair sex before a history of violence. So <laughs> there's that. I am gonna say that David Cronenberg ripped off stair sex. Well, that's from true. The room. I mean, that's definitely yeah, true. That's definitely what it is. Um. Definitely. Yeah, because in the in the scene, she's got this different is, clothes on. This is also on. very much a Cronenbergian exercise in body horror. With, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna. Get, <laughs> I'm not gonna get that mean. <laughs> but she has in that scene, she has different clothes on. They're also black, mm-hmm. but they're different from the clothes she had on when she was on the phone. See, they look the same to me. I they're know they're about different that clothes. Too. Okay, they're different clothes, but it's just the same color clothes. So like, they look really similar. Um, but no, it's, I, I think it's really supposed to be that unless she changed clothes as she walked across the room to open the door. I like how earlier in the scene, Tommy, I keep calling him Tommy cause his character's name is Johnny. I like how Johnny asks, says to Peter, but you're a psychologist. And then Peter says something else later in the scene that just passed. And, and Johnny says, Peter, you're always playing psychologist. Yeah. With us. Yeah. Like in the beginning, he's saying, he's like, uh, asking him questions as a psychologist like what do you think you know about what's going on in my life because you're a psychologist and you can tell me and then he gets like, pissed people later. are people and i don't understand women either yeah he's a, he goes i don't understand women do you peter and the psychologist responds with what man does I, good job <laughs> good job paid a lot of money for that doctorate good job i love the brown sheets all over all the cheap, 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 cheap. Almost as good as how you call a dog if you're Johnny Depp. Oh, chow, chow, chow. Which or actually, a cat. We, call a cat. Call a cat. Chow, we, chow. We, we were called out on that. Uh, apparently, the chow, chow, chow comes from a, a, the Purina pet chow, the cat chow, and dog chow commercials from the 1980s. Ah. Okay. Well, then, you know, not I'd, being, I'd be not a... being... Well, I was born in eighty seven. Yeah, I was born so. in eighty six. So, <clears throat> so to me, it just sounds like Johnny Depp doesn't know how to call a cat. Chow, chow, chow. Without, with, yeah, exactly. Without, <laughs> without the point of reference, you're like, what? But, but, but yeah, this is. I mean, I, I would be really surprised if there's some good reason for why he thinks a chip chicken goes chip chip chip. <laughs> so this stuff right here is fascinating because it's basically autobiographical. Um, it's, it kind of starts when he talks about the beta breakers thing. Beta breakers, uh, is a, uh, marathon, like kind of a crazy off the wall marathon where people go and run in the nude and like wear silly costumes and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and them talking about, uh, the, the chicken, the barbecue chicken and the beans and all that stuff. That was from an experience that Greg Sestero and Tommy Wiseau had together when they were living together in, in Los Angeles. And uh, I, I guess they were living together in Los Angeles or San Francisco. It's in the book. Um, and then that whole story that 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 Johnny just told about him coming to San Francisco with two suitcases and a two thousand dollars check that he couldn't cash because it was out of state. All that stuff was just just that was real. Tommy was those experience moving to California from Louisiana. Just his real life. Yep. Yeah. So that scene was the one where. Um, oh wait, no, no. It's it's the one coming up where. Where the psychologist Peter is, his opinion about Mark and Lisa's situation is that life is complicated, which is his very vague answer. And then Lisa is a sociopath. This next bit right here might be the weirdest bit of blocking ever. Why? Why? Let's just sit by the open door and talk. (laughs) 
Just sit down on the floor by the open like door. Mark, Mark and Peter leave and they're just like, all right, the door's wide open and they just sit on the floor and talk. And then they're about to stand up and that's it. That's the scene. So, oh, so many God. strange choices. Why? Like that would be so awkward to have my front door open and just like be kneeling with my back to it. And then he just stands up. Yep. He just stands up. That's just it. chose to sit on the floor they for a sat, second. They sat, started some dialogue, stood up, continuing the dialogue. Denny leaves. Didn't he just walk in? Yeah, I think so. He just came in. Okay. Yeah, and this know. is this is the rooftop scene where... Oh, yeah, and he's going to be smoking some marijuana. Getting really high. Try and kill his friend. There's, Try and push um, him off the roof. The 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 This shot right here of Mark... Has his little weed box and lighter. That is a huge on top. weed box. It is a huge weed box. <laughs> like, not to mention why he isn't just smoking in his apartment because they've already established that he lives in the same building as as Johnny. You know, he wants the view. But the 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 two shot that it cuts away from there, there's a continuity error where the lighter's in front of the box instead of beside it. But this shot right here has so much fucking headroom on him that it's obvious that they. That Tommy was a wanted to see the weed box. Right. He had to see the weed box in the oh, shot. Oh, but then there we even go. Though the lighter again. Error. Yeah, yeah. I uh, think this scene does kind of prove that Peter might be the worst psychologist ever. Mm. Maybe. Um. Also, he really hates marijuana. I guess, which makes me think that 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 Tommy, Tommy has Wiseau, a problem with drugs. That Tommy Wiseau has a problem with drugs. Because um, it's the second time we've had a really he, negative drug reference. So. He also, yeah, he also doesn't drink, and that's that, ah, that's right. That's a thing that he doesn't drink until his birthday party when he's drinking champagne, mm, like no yeah. problem. But before it's all like it's all like she's, you know, convincing him to be evil that she is is taking away his innocence by forcing him to drink. And have sex with her. Why does she want to have sex with him so much if she hates him? That's one of the things that drives me so crazy in this movie is how she constantly is, when she's away from Tommy, she's constantly saying how much she she's not going to marry him and he's a fool and she's bored with him. He's boring and et cetera, et cetera. And then when she's with him, she leads him on so hard, like to the point where you believe it. You're like, you're like, why wouldn't she? And the, the, not even that, but but she also, when he's not even around, or when she doesn't think he's around. There's a scene where she's talking to her mother, and she is telling her talking about about Danny, how caring how caring Tommy he is, is, how he uh-huh. cares about all the people in his I life. I told you before, he cares about the people he loves so much, and, and she's he like takes super sincere about it. And then <clears throat> and then her mom is like, then. Why don't you love him? And she's like, oh, I don't know. I just don't. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> she just just turns on a dime. It's crazy. Like it's it's very true that this this all comes down to how how Tommy thinks that women are just these like illogical creatures well, that, exactly. that really don't because she even says things stuff that is out of his mouth, not really out of her mouth, but you know, the the words he puts into her mouth are uh, women change their mind. Don't you know? We change our minds all the time. We just change our minds. And it's like, man, dude Establishing shot of a church back in the apartment. <laughs> it's just random. Nothing makes sense. Uh, also in tuxes, uh, they talk about how they're going to do wedding photos. We mentioned this earlier, uh, but their wedding is not actually happening. This is just an excuse to go play football in tuxes. Yep. 
Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> but what you were saying about women, I do, I do think that Tommy Wiseau is actually, of course, he's writing women through his filter, like through the filter of his mind. Well, and everybody's going to do that. Everybody who writes anything is going to write it through the filter of their own experiences, and and the goal of a writer is to try and step outside yourself sometimes to be able to create characters yes. who are not yourself. Yes. Unfortunately, he's not capable enough to to do that. So all of the characters are just him. Right. So to Tommy Wiseau, all women are illogical creatures that make decisions randomly and are fickle, and they always change their minds about things. Oh my and- God! They all did the chicken. That's not the that's not the last time it comes up. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they're all duplicitous and manipulative and greedy and all of these terrible things and too smart, but also dumb and d- evil. And like, these are the words that he puts in characters mouths. Uh, and it's obvious that it's just this illogical creature thing comes from Tommy Wiseau thinking that women are truly illogical creatures. Like they don't make sense. It's like sitting a child down and making them watch uh, Hildorovsky's, uh The Holy Mountain and then making them write a book report on it. Or not a book report, but, you know, like a write a paper on it. It's yeah. like, tell me what this movie was about. And they're going to write some crazy fucking nonsense. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's no way they can understand what it is. And that's kind of what it is. It seems to be like for Tommy Wiseau. That there's just no way that he can understand women. He can't and... interpret it. He can't yeah. write female characters because he's decided that they are this thing. Yeah. That's that they aren't, you know, he can't see that they're just people. I love how in this cafe scene here, we go through like two different sets of extras ordering their full order and having the people like the staff, like take the order and talk to them and and like still still. OK, finally, we have one of our our movie members in the shot. Finally, we've been here for like 20 seconds before someone who's actually in this movie comes into the shot like. It's so it's so weird. Just so, such so many wasted moments. This this location right here was had actually been owned by Tommy Wiseau for some time as a retail outlet. Uh, he ha- he owns a company. He may still own it called uh, uh, Street Fashions USA, uh, and he owned this huge building. He owned the entire building that even had roof access. This is you know prime re- real estate on in the San Francisco Bay area has an amazing view of of you know the bay and the Golden Gate Bridge and all that kind of stuff uh and this was all second unit stuff this actually was shot after they thought they were done with the movie and then he called everybody back because he wanted to shoot some more stuff <laughs> and he took oh, he took uh, uh, uh Greg Sestero up here and he was like okay we're going to shoot here and it was just this giant building just this amazing giant building all of this is owned by Tommy was oh this was all retail space where he was selling clothes where he I mean it's it is understood it is known that Tommy Wiseau is kind of independently wealthy mm-hmm. uh, he has what some have referred to as a bottomless bank account he just he just has money and he can buy whatever where he wants where does or it needs. come from um I don't know uh, some people think that I mean it if comes... he if he was someone who like as a child like you know, escaped a bad situation and moved around the world trying to find a place to live, then we can assume he did not come from any money. Yeah. The The book doesn't imply that he really gets his money from this Chloe Litsky person. Uh, it really actually implies that he did something much more on the, the straight and narrow, uh, that he started out as a peddler on the boardwalk. And he sold yo-yos and toy birds from France. And then from there, he made enough money to buy a little bit of retail space. And then he started selling cheaply made import clothes. Uh, And then from there, he bought a bigger space. And he just kept 
moving and up and suddenly and up he's and up. just and then incredibly he's just wealthy. Suddenly a millionaire, and that's it. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah fascinating. Yeah. So this is uh, <laughs> this is Mark and Lisa's sex scene where Mark was so uncomfortable with this that he refused to take off his jeans. <laughs> so all of the humping and stuff is done like under the covers. Like there's no ass from oh, <laughs> from Greg Sestero like there is from Tommy Wiseau. But yeah, he he doesn't take off his jeans at all. In this. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take off my clothes for this movie. Oh. I'd take off my clothes for maybe some other kind of movie, but not for <laughs> this movie. Oh, my God. Priorities. <laughs> oh, God. So, um, but yeah, like there, there, here's a, a, we missed it, but there was a blatant continuity error. I don't know why I'm even pointing this out. Like it gets to the point <laughs> where you point out continuity errors and stuff like that. And you're just like, why? What the every, yeah, what? Like there the are whole much, movie is much, a continuity exactly, error. There like... are much, much bigger problems than whether or not when she pulls down her top, it's actually up in the next shot and they have to pull it down again or whatever. So I don't know, like things that I want to comment on. It's like, why am I even commenting on this? Right. This entire movie is just like, it's junk, the whole thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, so instead, let's talk about the psychologist, Peter. Let's talk about how he he called Lisa a sociopath. Oh, yes. We mentioned that before. Yeah, so. he called he called Lisa a sociopath. And I went on the internet and uh, there just so happens to be a how to saw to speak sociopath wiki how page oh i, I thought with, you were gonna say it was a, a buzzfeed list no 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 it's a wiki how we've oh, okay. got pictures to help you to help you spot the mm-hmm. sociopath it's actually way longer than i want to read there are like 13 steps but but we can go through some of them and decide whether or not we think lisa is a sociopath man that is some intense humping dry, dry <laughs> humping with the jeans remember he's got jeans on under there and that hurts for her if he's scratching up on her he's with his to, jeans zipper Oh. Zipper's like a little chainsaw. <laughs> Step one, look for lack of shame. Does she have shame? I don't think so. Uh, you know, I don't I don't think she feels guilt. I'm, I'm on, more on familiar Tommy. with her breasts than I am yours. <laughs> thanks to this movie. So I wouldn't call that shame. No, um, no not the actress. I know, I know. <laughs> Step two. I got jokes. See if the person is constantly lying. Lisa, Lisa she is li- constantly yeah, exactly. lying. At least she's, she withholds the truth constantly, mm-hmm. sure. And step three, see if they're able to stay eerily calm in spite of circumstances. I don't think that's true because when Tommy's dead, she freaks out. She does. She freaks out. Step four. But she also sees it as, she is an opportunist in, opportunist in that she uses it to force Mark to confirm or deny whether oh, or not Oh, that's true. Yeah, she totally changes the she topic. She parlays it. She's like, he's dead. Does that mean we can be together? And he's like, no. <laughs> uh, step four, see if they are extremely charming at first. Is she extremely charming? She's got some charisma, sure, a little bit. Okay. Step five, see if the person is exceptionally intelligent. I don't know. The computer business is very competitive. It is pretty competitive. Can't blame her. Step six: See if the person is manipulative. I mean, everybody calls her manipulative. Yeah, I I would say she is. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Seven is look for signs of violent behavior. You know, like killing small animals and stuff like that. Oh, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know about that. She does slap Mark later. That's true. Uh, Step eight: See if the person has a huge ego. Uh, in this scene coming up, uh, when Michelle comes in and they start talking, she does say that she wants everything, that her eyes are wide open. Mm, and, that's true. You know. 
I was I wasn't gonna go through the whole list, but we're almost there. Nine is see if the person makes uninterrupted eye contact. Does she uh, does she stare at people weirdly? Uh, I mean, yep. she's staring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, step ten: face readings. I don't know, Wiki how what the fuck does that mean? Face read read her face. Does she look like a sociopath? <laughs> sure, whatever. Eleven: see if the person has few real friends. Well, she says nobody calls her. That's true. At least you have friends. At least you have friends. No one calls me. Uh, 12 is see if the person likes to isolate you. Does she try to isolate Tommy? Does she try to? I don't think so. I don't know. She kind of does that to Mark. Yeah, that's true. She does it to Mark. She tries to get him away from from Tommy. She's always asking him to come over Uh and stuff like that. And then last one is see if the person is immature. I don't know, kind of. I yeah, guess. Yeah. I guess. Whatever. Sure. No, I, I think, Lisa's a sociopath. Sure. I think that if you can say that that Tommy Wiseau was successful in anything, he was success. He successfully wrote a sociopathic character. Okay. In Lisa. Okay, that's good. It's I mean, because it's... he's a misogynist, but <laughs> but at least he okay, was so successful so in his goal. Right. I think. Well, and that, you know, that he didn't, like, blindly make that comment, right? He had a character who's a psychologist, call her a sociopath, and I guess she does kind of fit the description. Yes, so. yes, exactly. So, A plus for, for you know, effort and doing it. Yeah, they're really, they're really quite flippant about their affair. <clears throat> yeah. You know? And everyone else is, too, except everyone... for Peter, the psychologist. Yeah, like, no one really takes it seriously at all, I don't think. It doesn't seem like. I mean, this girl is just like laughing. She's just like, "Uh huh. What was the what was the zipper thing? Uh-huh. Have you told Tommy yet? Have, uh, Tommy, Johnny. have you told Johnny yet? Have you told? I mean, it's the same thing, right? Tommy. Yeah, Johnny. she just she just said the line. It, it's they want it to be like a really big deal, but all of the characters that find out about it, with the exception of maybe her mother. They're all just like, oh my god! And Peter, Peter the psychologist, Pe- too. Yeah, he okay, gets he, pissed. He gets pretty pissed about it. But like l- later at the party, once it kind of comes out, they act like it's no big deal. It's like it's out now. It's done. We're we're dancing together, and everybody's watching. Who even cares? Yeah, yeah. It is really weird at the party. Like, and they talk about it really loudly in this teeny tiny room in front of everybody. Where where when she comes out and she does the really random thing and says that she is pregnant, that she's expecting. Yeah. And um. And she does the really random thing where she does that and and he he later comes back into the house and he he starts accusing her and he's like, Whose baby is it? Is it my baby? And you're just like Oh, oh like, my cool God, it, dude, dude like, we're, we're, we got company. And, but the thing is, is he's not even saying it like he's angry and he can't keep his voice down. He's really casual about it, but yeah. just talking loudly. Whose baby is it? Is it my baby? Like... Man, everybody's in here right now. There is there is kind of like a spatial awareness that that everything is lacking. Later in the movie, there's another thing where where Tommy's in the ba- Johnny's in the bathroom and Lisa's on the phone, and where she calls Mark. She's trying to get get Johnny out of the bathroom, and then she calls Mark on the phone and just has a conversation about how she wants to go bang him while Johnny's in the bathroom and then there's like even a moment when like at the end of the conversation she like leans away from the phone a little bit and goes I'm on my way like she wants Johnny to hear <laughs> but then he comes out of the bathroom and has to prove the conversation just happened by getting his two hour and you're just like, dude, you just, running you for just heard all of it while you were sitting there so like why he's even got his ear up against the door exactly well and then that that leads me to another point about there was a, another scene uh the scene where Lisa admits to her mother that she's been having an affair with Mark 
and the scene ends and Tommy has been listening in. So he's just found out that his wife is having an affair or not his wife, but his, as they say, future wife, which I also want to talk about, uh, that his future wife is having an affair with his best friend. And he's like, how can they talk about me like that? I'll prove I'll 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 show them I'll record everything. (laughs) Record what, man? You've got all the information you just heard. Like, you don't if it's real, you don't have to prove it to them. You just tell them you fucking know. Yeah. And the thing that he says is that I, I think he actually phrases it. How can they say that about me? As though Tommy Wiseau wrote the scene where his character discovers the thing about his future wife's character and the affair she's having, and then he totally missed the point of the revelation. And he's like, they're talking about me, so I'll record their conversation. It's like, no, dude, you just found out your wife is fucking your best friend. I don't know. Okay, about the future wife thing. Yeah. What? They never say the word fiancé. In this movie. Really? No one says fiancé ever in this movie. They all say future wife or future husband. What? Why? I think, now this is my theory, I think it's because Tommy Wiseau wants to, I guess, distance himself from his past in France. So knowing the word fiance is a, and this might be a stretch, but I think that it makes more sense than, you know, anything else. And I have really haven't heard any other theory, but it is something people talk about. Like, why do they say future husband and future wife so much? It's a weird thing. Yeah. But I do think it is that uh, Tommy Wiseau speaks, as I understand, basically native level French. Mm. Uh, and he doesn't want people to know that he speaks French or Polish, if he is, in fact, from Poland. He doesn't want anyone to know that he speaks any other language than English. He wants everyone to believe that he is a, you know, blue-blooded American. <laughs> that's, what, that's really what he wants. Like, when people ask him about his, 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 you know, his origins, he doesn't talk about it. When people ask him how many languages he speaks, he avoids the topic. Like, this has happened for years in every single interview that he's in that anyone's asked him about his past or his multilingualism because he speaks more than one language. Yeah. He speaks at least three languages. Right, because he has to speak something, and it's definitely not English as a first exactly. language. Exactly. And I think, so. I mean, as someone who studies foreign languages <clears throat> myself, I think that that's damn impressive that he speaks at least three languages. Right, it absolutely is. And his English is totally... It's also damn impressive that he's a millionaire after having come from nothing. Exactly, yeah. he's. I mean, you can make fun of him for this, but like, there's something to this guy. Like, yeah. He's a millionaire. He speaks three languages. There's something going on the right way up upstairs mm-hmm. that that I think people like to discount because oh he made a dumb movie yeah he made a he made a bad movie, but I mean hats off to the dude he speaks three fucking languages I can't stress that enough, but not only that like for me I speak Japanese and English and I used to speak Spanish before I you know lost it by living in Japan for almost five years, uh, but any opportunity that I have to like speak Japanese or to talk about my experience learning a different language. I will talk about because it's important to me and I'm proud of it. Yeah. Like of I've course. I've worked hard for it. Right. Like when you when you work for, toward an accomplishment and you accomplish it to some degree of success, you want to talk about it. Because right, of that's, course. Yeah, it's something to be proud of. And I am proud of it. He doesn't want anyone to know that he speaks any other language than English. And I think that's amazing. Yeah. That's really incredible to me. I don't understand how you can like, he's obviously got some kind of ego. This is the biggest fucking vanity project ever. 
but he's, he's but it's not though, he's able to you said yourself even like he's not in the movie that much it is a vanity project it is, but, but it, it isn't. isn't yeah it's really strange it like is he's, sort of like autobiographical but it isn't like he's able to com- compartmentalize i guess and i guess that's the best word to use he's able to compartmentalize these parts of his ego and put some like try to literally just hide some away so that people will never know and then put others forward so that he can present himself as what he wants to be as the new him, you know, the new, the new flesh to, to bring Cronenberg back into the conversation. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that, that's kind of fascinating to me, but we, we are at the, uh, at the, the, the birthday party. I love, I love how many that builds to shots kind of a fever pitch. begin with people just laughing happily. If nothing else is telling about, about, his real inner goals for this movie that it that it is to make him look like he has friends and he has a family and etc um it if nothing else is telling i think the fact that so many moments start with people just laughing happily patting each other on the back showing how they're such great buddies and how much fun they're having being together and being around him oh gosh it's so it's so awkward that's a good way to describe this entire movie is just awkward. It's just awkward. Which is why, you know, Tommy Wiseau working with Tim and Eric is... Blowjob faces doing a good job <laughs> making faces again. <laughs> it's got a, kind of a match made in heaven, I think, like Tommy Wiseau and Tim and Eric. I think they should probably mm, work together yeah. again. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It is kind of a match made because in heaven. Because he's one of those people that is incredibly strange and does incredibly awkward artistic things that everybody else knows are really bad but they don't know it's really bad and that's exactly the kind of person that tim and eric love to put on the screen people who take themselves seriously and believe that they do really good work when actually what they're doing is really awkward strange bad stuff it is a match made in heaven when they when they walk when Tommy walked in and everyone yelled, shouted surprise and started singing uh, Happy Birthday, the rendition of it like the the what's it called the dissonance <laughs> is so true to life that it kind of approaches cinema verite, which yeah, is yeah. which is like the cinema of the truthful or like the true the most true to life cinema. Right, this is like really what it sounds like when a group of exactly. random fuckers it's sings like Happy Birthday. Like, oh my it's God, like this oh is god, this sounds like shit. This is amazing. So. <laughs> Um, so right here they're making, making out on the couch. Who the fuck is this guy? Who he, is this? He's Peter number two. Like he, he has, he has a character's name. I think his character's name is Matthew or something like that. I'm, Everybody I'm, has I'm like sure. the most fantastic names. Mark, Johnny, Lisa, yeah. Peter, Michelle, Matthew, yeah. Denny. <laughs> you know, you they know. distinctly call him Dinny a couple times and Danny. I, I didn't mention this yet. Do you know why Mark's name is Mark? Why? Because uh, because, <laughs> because Tommy Wiseau is a really, really big fan of Mark Damon. Oh, my God. No. Yes. That's not real. Yes. Yes. Oh, he my God. He misunderstood here. He misremembered Matt Damon's name and named a character in his movie after Matt Damon but named him Mark. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Yeah. So who is this guy? Who's so not... this, this guy, yeah. The guy that comes in and has suddenly a whole bunch of lines was supposed to be Peter, but Peter had a previous commitment and he thought that this movie wasn't going to take as long as it ended up taking. And to be fair, the movie took six 
fucking months to make this movie. Hmm. So uh, after they finish the scene, I think it's kind of appropriate too because this also, I'm sorry, this shot right here is like out of a Gus Van Sant movie or something. Like them following her into the party. It looks good. It does. It's like, where did this come from? (laughs) And like everything's out of focus and in, in the distance and stuff. And yeah, it looks good. Uh, I want to make a note of uh, the announcement that they are expecting a child. <laughs> and how long does it take? Okay, we're at an hour 21, 35-ish. Hour, let's say an hour 21 and 30 seconds. Hmm. And let's see how long it takes for them to dismiss that plot point. <laughs> uh, but yeah, basically... at. When uh, when Peter finishes his last scene, the football tuxedo scene, he says, I'm done. And that's his last scene. It's almost as if he's like, I'm done with this fucking Yeah, and he movie. just leaves the movie. Yeah, exactly. He's he's just over. Oh, so, wait, baby. Babe, when is the baby due? There, there is, is no, no baby. baby. Uh, 30 seconds? Yeah. So we right? introduce a whole new dramatic element into the movie. And dismiss and it then... 30 sec- literally 30 yeah. seconds later. Well, I mean, at least it gets a dismissal. We never got a dismissal for the drugs or the breast cancer. That's yeah, exactly. You know, that just was it's just there shit and then that just happens. gone. <laughs> so, oh my god, I'm gonna scream at you for like five straight minutes in this movie, and then we're never gonna mention it ever again. So we're never gonna D- figure Denny out why may it happened. Or may not be addicted to drugs. Like that's Still. that's part of a character arc. Like he was doing things. Like Tommy Wiseau's script. The script for this movie does stuff. That it doesn't actually understand what it's doing. Like when you give a character a drug problem, you're you're establishing an arc, and that arc either culminates in the drug problem coming being to f- resolved, it, being or... resolved in some way, either becoming you know uh, a tr- it's either a tragic event or an event of redemption. Like that's what it is. It's tragedy or redemption. That the, there's really no other way to go other than like neutral. But he establishes an arc and then does nothing with it. The breast cancer thing. Not only that, but I, of course, the breast cancer, the breast cancer thing is the easiest to point to because it's the biggest, like fucking breast cancer. But she's constantly talking about these other men in her lives, like her ex-husband that wants this and her brother that wants that. And they're always trying to steal money from her or they're trying to get her house from her and all this kind of stuff. And this other thing about her friend, like at one point she mentions her friend and says that that she's she's trying to get a house. She's trying to get her house. And she thought her friend is trying to get a house. Right. And she thought that Johnny Johnny would pay the down payment or help her with the down payment. For like a friend of his fiance's mom. Yeah, exactly. And she was like, I thought Tommy, or I thought Tommy, I keep saying Tommy. I'm sorry, Mr. Wizzo. <laughs> uh, she thought that Johnny would be more generous than that. And all he would say is that it's an awkward situation. It's like, damn right it's an awkward situation. You don't just help someone pay off, you know, pay like a down payment Like someone you don't even house. know? Yeah. Ostensibly that he doesn't even know this person? I don't know. It's, it's, I, I think that. In the most basic sense, Tommy Wiseau understands drama in the most, and I'm not saying that he understands drama because he doesn't, but in the most, most basic sense, he understands that characters need conflict and they need arcs and they need goals and they need obstacles and things that they have to deal with. So he's like, oh, breast cancer, uh, <laughs> drug problem, uh, this thing right here. There's uh, greed. Expecting a baby. Expecting a baby. Greed and corruption and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, having cheating tr- on spouse. Uh, trying to find Future a job. Spouse. And this job market is competitive and this and that and, and whatever. And didn't get the promotion. And nothing gets resolved. I th- it, does, do you think one. Oh, look, here's the dancing scene. 
I think the only character arc that gets resolved is, I, I guess, in some way. Well, Tommy, uh, damn it, Johnny, Johnny dies. Johnny so. dies, so that's that's resolution to some degree. Uh, I guess Mark and um, Lisa's character arcs get resolved in some way, in that there's a there's a you know a final decision made with Mark that like no you're the reason that Johnny killed himself so I'm not going to have anything to do with you we're done and you know I guess that resolves it um I love him coming up and finding them like necking like 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 literally like dancing they're kissing the each other's necks and stuff yeah. while they're dancing and then he's like hey what are you doing and she's like none of your business <laughs> like so many times she responds to like people blatantly talking to her about whatever is going on and she's just like don't worry about it none of your business i don't want to talk about it god the last scene oh wait 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 we're about to get the the chicken moment oh yes the last the final chicken <laughs> where before both times before it was uh used to comedic effect <laughs> but now it's dramatic <laughs> <laughs> it's chip, 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 chip. Well, just like and he's like doing the little flapping wings. <laughs> I love when he in the scene before with the chicken, like the the second to last one, where like all of them are doing the chicken together, and it's really obvious that the other actors are super uncomfortable about you know doing the chicken like, movement. I don't understand. We just had an establishing shot of the Disney store. And that's more- that's the second time we've seen it. A, a little while back, he was walking across yeah. the street, and the Disney store was there. Yeah, and there we just had another establishing shot. Why we're a- still in the apartment? Yeah, it's just a I don't know a bookmark. A, a I don't know a break, something to put between two scenes. I don't know. I'm not sure. We haven't moved locations. I think it's supposed to be a so we don't we don't actually do a jump cut and and jump to later without establishing that some time has passed. You know, if we're talking about like uh, you know arcs in the character, right? Like the dramatic change of what's going on with the characters, yeah, dynamic here. characters, right? And Lisa, transformative experiences. Lisa, Lisa in the beginning, her hair and her makeup is is very colorful and and she like keeps it up and straight oh and pretty God, and then now you know if we look at Lisa like her hair is crimped and she's got like this black spiky necklace on and very dark in eye a few makeup. minutes bitch oh. <laughs> that line right there he in a few minutes bitch he 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 would he kept saying that line and I guess it was at the end of a long day but the crew and the cast and everybody watching just could not stop laughing when he said the line and he kept coming out of the bathroom really upset under not understanding why people were laughing at his line <laughs> uh this is the scene I was talking about earlier where Johnny has locked himself in the bathroom uh, um I'm sorry what's that on her dresser I'm just noticing it it looks like a I think small, it's a mannequin. small mannequin yeah <laughs> Some small mannequin doll. I don't know, something that Tommy Wiseau used to sell on the boardwalk, I guess. But uh, yeah, this I was talking about the scene before. He's locked himself in the bathroom. And she's on the phone with Mark, just talking at normal like conversation level. Uh, and I, toward the end of the conversation, she leans away from the phone a little bit. And I think she's trying to get, get Johnny to hear it. There she goes. <laughs> I'm on my way. <laughs> <laughs> like, look, turns to the door. But we basically heard that entire conversation without a cut. I, there may have been a cut to, to Johnny inside the bathroom, like leaning up against the door. Yeah, there was one. But I say that to say that when he goes to get the, the cassette tape and, and he's about to replay it, there's bits of the conversation that we, that didn't happen. The conversation just happened and she starts talking about like how 
Mark is a sparkle in her life or something. <laughs> You're the sparkle of my life. I can't live without you. It's like, oh, she didn't God. just say that. I just heard that conversation. He just repeats <laughs> he, the, he same the same lines. Line. We'll see about that. Goes get the tapes, comes back. We'll, we'll see, see about, about that. that. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, this is it's just, too much. It's just, it's just too much. You know, it's been really an amazing exercise trying to watch this seriously. It is so, and I don't mean this in the positive way, this is such a dense movie. There, It is so dense. Every scene has something you can talk about. Every single scene, many moments, almost every moment has something you could be, you could you could say, look at this crazy shit. Look at what a mess this is. Look at what a hot mess this moment is. Look how look at this continuity error. Look at this thing that's just wrong in every conceivable way. Look at how this means the worst about these characters. Look at how this means the opposite of what is clearly trying to be established, you know, in the story about these characters or these moments or these decisions or these events or whatever. It's just so backwards. It re- it really truly is the most spectacular failure of a movie that maybe has ever been. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, but that's why it's so famous. How? Okay, so this movie was made in 2000. Oh my God, he just threw that tape. <laughs> the slow-mo tape recorder that doesn't even break. It just kind of bounces <laughs> kind off of like the wall. like when he gets angry later and he starts throwing stuff around the house, but like stuff doesn't fall down. Oh, uh, there's a whole thing. Like behind the scenes, the guy who was kind of walking him through the scene was like, come on, man, you got to do better than that. Like he just was really lethargic and like, uh, not really knocking <laughs> like stuff over. Like kind of knocking some stuff off the tabletop. Yeah. Sort like, of pushing like a, the dresser a right. little. Like a sleepy toddler that doesn't want to go to bed. Uh, I don't want to. <clears throat> but I mean, this movie being so dense is why this movie makes such... For like dis- for discussion. It's not thematically... I'm not no, saying no, it's no, thematically no, no, no. dense. But like of things that you can talk about, I, there's, I have so many notes that I haven't even gone over because I was talking about something else. Like there's just too much. Well, well what I was going to say is that it it's the reason why this movie makes for such a fantastic drinking game. Do you have anything about the drinking games? Like some of the things that you should do? I I don't, but okay. I'm sure it'll send somebody to the hospital. Here, here, I'm sure. I mean, because there's it. so many repetitive elements in this movie. It's kind of perfect for that. Okay, so like some of the things that you can do. Whenever a character says, oh, hi, character name, drink. Nine, that happens nine times in the movie. Um, whenever Lisa and Claudette are about to have a heart-to-heart, take a, take a sip. Um, uh, take a sip whenever Johnny laughs. And another whenever he Wait, says, huh? What does his laugh sound like? <laughs> <laughs> uh, be sure to take a gulp when Lisa explicitly states that she doesn't love Johnny anymore. Okay. When a blatantly unnecessary scene draws to a close, drink. <laughs> That's, That's every most scene. scene. Yeah, most scenes. When a sex scene draws to a close, down your drink. Okay. Drink when a character shows up with no introduction. Okay. <laughs> Like every, every scene, scene. <laughs> couple times, and just about every scene. Uh, drink when Mark says, "What's going on?" While Lisa is about to seduce him. You know, people. I, I want. Let, let's go back to that point about people walking into scenes. This was actually written as a play first, and then adapted to a novel, and then finally written as a screenplay. And it still kind of feels like a play, like the, yeah, the way people does. enter and exit scenes and stuff like that, and how it's. I mean, shown. like the worst kind of play, but yes. yeah. Uh, drink when the characters are playing football. Oh my God! That's at least four times. Uh, I guess this is this is to to be healthy, but oh my God, he's humping the dress. I hate this moment. Yes. According to the screenplay, uh, he, Johnny 
pleasures himself with the red dress. Oh my god, it's so awful. He's yep. like groaning and thrusting into it. Uh, drink water after being shown parts of San Francisco. So we're trying to, okay, you know, that's good. Keep yourself Mit- mitigate the alcohol poisoning. <laughs> Take a sip whenever Denny says something slightly creepy. <laughs> How many scenes is Denny in? <laughs> oh my gosh! Is that it? Yeah. That well, that was just. I'm There's sure so much there are, more. There There's, are tons of them out there. It was what just about the first one I looked at? What about Oh Hey? They say Oh Hey seven <clears throat> times. Uh, they they say, say they say characters have catchphrases and you should drink at all the catchphrases. Well, multiple characters. characters say Don't worry about it. Don't worry multiple about it. Multiple characters say I don't want to talk about it. Things like that. What What about there should be another one for every time uh, Johnny tries to to deliver some kind of like platitude like, about life, like about love like then he don't life. plan so much. Sometimes it don't turn out right. <laughs> I think. Well, this was just one of the I'm sure hundreds of different versions of the drinking game that there are on the internet. But um, but yeah, like there there's so much in this movie that happens like that that it it makes for a great bad movie watching time. Mm-hmm. I've know? never seen this at a screening and it's one of my, like I live in, I live in Japan. Like we've talked about on the podcast before. Um, and they don't have screenings of the fucking room in Japan, <laughs> but it Surprise. is, it is one of my goals in life. I have to go to a screening of the room with like a crowd where they do all the things like they do all the midnight screening stuff. Mm-hmm. Like every time you see a shot of the framed spoons mm-hmm. like there are spo- spoons like these frames to decorate the set with that just came with like stock photos of spoons they just didn't take those pictures out and just uh-huh. left them so every time you see spoons you're supposed to throw plastic spoons at the screen every oh, time beautiful. every time people play football on screen people run out into the aisles and like actually play football and stuff like that and that sounds like so much fun yeah people anticipate lines and and all sorts of stuff there are moments where uh where tommy was always looking down like at his at his mark on the ground uh-huh. and every time he looks down at his mark people will like run to that corner of the screen and like wave up at him and stuff like that. <laughs> that sounds like so much fun yeah. i totally it's a, want it's to go a, to a it's very much a rocky room. horror picture show like you've got to get really drunk and just go that oh, sounds yeah. Yeah. that sounds just laughing wonderful. and screaming at the screen yeah yeah, yeah sounds definitely like an amazing definitely time. a life goal to go do that <laughs> oh denny oh denny boy I keep talking about how there was another person who who really probably directed this, if you can say it was directed by anybody, uh, and that would be the uh, script supervisor, uh, Sandy Schler. Uh So that that man actually probably directed this movie or did as best he could. Um, the script supervisor, I believe, is credited as being Drew Caffrey, who I mentioned at the beginning is had been dead for some time before this movie was even written. So the person actually, because you have to have a script supervisor, it's a you know to maintain continuity and to you know make sure that your movie is moving along the right way and to find out to, to keep keep track of where you are in the script and where right, you are in yeah. shooting and all that kind of stuff. Uh, in the industry, it's also sometimes referred to as a script girl. Because yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's often filled by uh, by young women. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so Sandy Schler um, is probably the person who really directed this movie. If you look at the job description of what a director does, uh, the music in this movie we haven't mentioned it at all. It's apparently some guy who's like a professor at a university. Yeah. Um and mostly the only other stuff I could find he had done was were like a bunch of documentaries. Uh Miladin 
Milikevic, Milosevic, something okay. like that. Uh, uh, but anyways, though, this whatever he actually has or has not done, I I think it sounds a lot like the music from the Puppet Master movies, actually. Which is interesting because Greg Sestero, one of his only other acting credits, was is in Retro Puppet Master, exactly right? playing Young Toulon, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he talks about that experience in the book. Uh, we are in the credits, and I would really, really love to read uh, a five-star review, but we don't have any more on iTunes. Any more reviews at all. So if you would like to leave us a review uh, for our show, please visit iTunes uh, on your iTunes app on your phone. You can actually just go to the website, too, uh, on and, and search for Popcorn Poops. And leave us a rating and review. Uh, let us know what you think about the show, and uh, we might we might read it on the show. We'd really like to. Uh, but... Yeah, so we are in credits. We didn't. We made it <laughs> somehow. We made it through the room. We made it somehow. out of the room somehow, one way or another. Some of the credits themselves are entertaining, like the the one about what was it? Craft services. Yeah, it's coming up. Craft services. They they credit uh, Los Angeles and San Francisco fast food. <laughs> they, that's all it says. Los it's Angeles like and San they... Francisco fast food. It's like no, no, no. If there's a company that does your craft services, of course you you give them a credit in your film. But if if nobody did it and you just, just sent someone to go get Taco Bell, <laughs> exactly. you just don't worry about it, man. <laughs> like I, I would even say like if if you went to one place and you were like, hey, In and Out, why don't you cater our movie? And they're like, okay, I guess you can credit In and Out. But if you if you said if you called lunch break and people went to like Wendy's or whatever, <laughs> you're like, OK, craft services by uh, fast food. <laughs> I don't know. So <laughs> These are our song credits right here. Yeah. See, all Raymond Davis and Kitra Williams seem to be the two primary uh, names, the, the two most prominent names on all, all I mean, those songs. We've definitely got to get this soundtrack, though. As far as like the kind of songs that they were shooting for i think the the not the score the score is pretty goofy and cheap sounding yeah but the songs are probably some of the more successful yeah elements i mean they the sound movie. like you know higher quality porno porno songs right yeah. like you know a little better than than the worst so that's good yeah that's good uh thank you for joining us for the greatest worst movie ever made for the room i can't i can't believe we made it i'm this, really happy this was a lot of fun we uh, did make it but this brings us to the end of another episode of the popcorn poops podcast if you want to uh if you want to subscribe to us on itunes we'd really appreciate that please leave us a rating and review and we might read it on the show you can also follow us on our social media outlets on twitter at popcorn poops or on facebook where we update with hints and quotes and all sorts of things about the movies that we're going to be doing so maybe you can guess the movie before we actually do it before the episode comes out uh you can also find us individually on uh on uh twitter i'm under dusty cram cram and i'm jesse casper and of course as always you can find us on our website at www.popcornpoops.com and until next time take care bye bye we are the popcorn poops hey there listeners my name is ray and i'm luke together we are the The super Super hammered Brothers. brothers On our podcast, we talk about video games, anime, comics, and so much more. Hit a clip from one of our episodes. Okay, think about it. When you see the old Batman movies, and they're like, Hey, I'm Bruce Wayne. Ten seconds later, I get into a custom. Hey, I'm Batman. Same voice, same guy, and no one can put the two or two together. It drives me insane. For Christopher Nolan, he's like, Hey, change the voice, because you got to be different. So, hey, I'm Bruce Wayne, to, Hey, I'm Batman. You gotta, you gotta do something. It's stupid, but oh, if yeah. you want to oh, yeah. stay hidden and no. you're, Zur- I did not know. That's never, how you do Superman it. doesn't do that. All Superman do is put glasses on. Yeah. Hi, Clark. Yeah. Hi, Superman. What? 
Where did, where did Clark go? Have you seen him, Superman? Where did he go? Hey, Clark, when did you get here? Did, did you see Superman? You should see. Don't be funny, no, Ray. What the funny one time he forgets and puts his glasses on? Super Clark? If you're interested in hearing more from us, go to our website, superhammeredbros.com. You can also listen to us on iTunes, watch us on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter. Once again, we are the Super Hammered Bros, and we hope you will geek out with us.